You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends. You know, as a former politician, guy that was a city commissioner and a mayor, I spent 10 years listening to folks complain about roads. Additionally, I worked for two engineering firms, and both those firms did a lot of work on roads, federal highways, county highways, city rural roads, and other types of important infrastructure. Roads may be the single piece of infrastructure that gets more attention than almost any other, especially if you live in a part of the world where we like to say there's two seasons. There's winter and then construction. And in between, there's pothole season. Well, it takes a lot of work to fix roads, a lot of money, and a lot of dedicated people to make our uh, ability to get from point A to point B pleasant. I'm going to put it that way, pleasant. They all, we all notice roads. We all have opinions. Well, I'm just pleased today to have a, a guest that has a very significant background, and not just in road construction, but that entire infrastructure piece that's important to me. Worked for major companies, and then entrepreneur started his own. Micah Tisver, it's great to meet you. Welcome to Mike's Seminary and Friends. How are you? Well, thanks for having me on your podcast here, Mike. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to get to know you here a little bit, and I am doing great, man. Thank you for asking. It's a pleasure. I should let folks know that the way we've we've never met, and that's the beauty of, I should say, beauty and curse of social media nowadays. There's a lot of stuff on social media that you just kind of look the other way, but there are great information as well. And I saw a post of yours one day. It had nothing to do with what you do for a living. I'm going to say it was an inspirational, motivational, coaching type of moment. And I've always been drawn to those. So it's been important to me. Uh, it helps me learn. It helps me stay motivated. It educates me. So my first question is, what prompted you to start sharing your thoughts uh, with regards to self-help and improvement and inspiration? What's in your DNA that wanted you to do that, Micah? Well, I mean, kind of started almost a little bit of as as a joke. You know, I was I was uh, just had this thought in my head one day, and then created a short uh, um, a short story on. I think it was on Instagram. You know, just a um, real brief kind of motivational thing, and a couple people saw it and said, "Hey, that's pretty cool." You know, when are you going to do the next one? Um, and it just, it just kind of grew from there. So I started a lot, a lot of these messages I put out there in these motivational Monday, um, I guess, little clips. It's it, it's it's real life situations. It's 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 real examples people can relate to. And a lot of the stuff I, I utilize uh, with with valid discussions with my children, um, with close friends of mine. And, uh, it, and, and a lot of it is 
believe it or not, it's it's almost pep talks for myself that I'm verbalizing mm-hmm. and putting out there as well, because a lot of this a lot of the messages that I'm I'm portraying here are are works in progress or or some challenges that I personally deal with as well. So it's a uh, um as it evolved here, I kind of figured if if I'm dealing with these situations and want to grow in these areas and 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 um, you know have these challenges that I'm facing every single day, every single week, whether it's personal, financial, professional, um, there's no doubt about it. There's other people that are that are feeling the same, living the same, um, experiencing the same, and I just thought maybe this is a good platform to uh, try to reach other people and and you know share some of these sentiments. Well, thanks for doing it. You know, one could make the case that there are plenty of us that need encouragement. This is life isn't easy. Uh, he never promised us that it was going to be easy. Uh, we we're living in a time where I don't know that I could say it's the most divisive time in the history of mankind, because uh, there's been plenty of other times where it's been really ugly. But we're at a point right now where at uh, any form of positive encouragement and good news is a good thing. And if nothing else, we should spend far more time focusing on that than the stuff we can't control at all. Uh, and we'll probably sleep better as well. So thanks for doing that, Mike. I, I, pre- I enjoy them. I, I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate that feedback, Mike. I really do. Yeah. Well, you're in a, a fascinating industry. And f- for the most part, if I understand your bio fairly well, it's pretty much your professional career since you since you got out of college. In fact, you studied construction management, right? Correct. You got it. At the same alma mater, I'm going to call it Morehead State University because that's what it was when I was there. Yep. Um, and by the way, I didn't know that they had construction management when I was there. So I, I, I missed that. And I used to work in construction. So my first question is this. Kid from pretty rural Minnesota, played some sports. We'll talk about that in a minute. What drew you to the construction industry? Well, it's a, it's a great question, Mike. When I, when I went to school, um, I went to Moorhead state to, uh, to play football. And, and at the time I thought I was going to be a school teacher, you know, I loved, and, and a football coach. I loved, uh, you know, dealing with, with, uh, academics and, and, and coaching sports and dealing with youth. Um, and that was kind of my initial, initial thoughts, I guess, and, and, and projectile I thought it was on when I went to school. Um, well, little did I know, uh, that there was, I, I had no clue that myself, there was a construction management program at, at the university. Um, I found that out through some of my football teammates who, who were studying construction management. And I thought, no kidding. You can actually get a degree in construction. Like I, I didn't even know that, uh, that it was, it was possible that it was offered anywhere much less at the university I was attending there to, to, uh, to play sports. Um, so I was like, well, I need to look into this. Cause I, I grew up, uh, around residential construction, building, framing houses, shingling roofs, siding. I mean, you name it. I, I did that with, uh, with my brother and, and brother-in-law for, for quite a few years and in, in high school, uh, of summers. Um, 
so I looked into this program, construction management. They introduced me to one of the advisors there, great lady, uh, Norma. She's uh, she's helped me out tremendously through throughout my my uh, um, education and, and into my career as well. And uh, she's like, "Well, come check it out." And, and here's kind of an intro or whatever that uh, I can't remember exactly what she what she gave me some some pamphlets, brochures, whatever. But said, "Come check it out and let's let's see if we can get you into a couple intro classes, see what you think of it." And uh, so I think it was my second semester in school where I actually um, kind of pivoted and and changed my path and do construction management. And to answer your question there, Mike, it, I don't think it has always been an, I know it hasn't always been an offering at MSUM, whether it was considered now, mm-hmm. um, that the, I believe the program was started in the early 90s. Right, most of the guys, and, and a little older than you, most of the guys, uh, I'm aware of that pursued that educationally. They either went to Arizona State University. I, I think it was offered at NDSU at the time. I think it's far more prolific now. And of course, that makes sense because they have that big, impressive engineering college. And that just makes a lot of sense to have construction management as part of that. Well, I'm glad you did because it, as it, as I said in the opening, um, and I know you're not just involved in the road side, but we'll come back to that. Um, if, if, I, if I could, if I could just interrupt here, Mike, yeah, just, go ahead. just to mention one more thing here on the on the MSUM construction management program. It is it is a it's a fantastic program, but it's we have seen challenges in the program as everybody sees in the industry with with. Um, mostly recruiting and retention challenges to to attract young folks into the industry. Um, a handful of years ago, <clears throat> uh, probably in the in the mid mid to late nineties, I should say, so it's probably been or early two thousands, somewhere in there, there was a uh, um, construction management program at MSUM had started an IAB, an industry advisory board, which basically it. Uh, you know, it it assists the faculty of MSUM construction management program with the you know, accreditation um, uh, challenges or 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 potentials, and as well as recruiting and retention efforts into the program. I had gotten involved into the into the board, the the industry advisory board, back in probably twenty, I want to say twenty thirteen or fourteen, um, maybe fifteen. The latest, I can't remember now. It's been a while, but. Uh, but it's it's a wonderful opportunity for me to connect with with other folks in the industry. Majority of them are alumni of the program, um, and and we get together twice a year. But I I am in my second year as chair of the board right now, and uh, and it's it's been it's been an awesome experience. You know, seeing it from a different perspective to in, to ensure the program aligns with with the, you know, the credit accreditation requirements to visit and pursue other potential avenues for rec- recruiting, uh, ensure that the program stays alive because not only for the benefit of the industry, but also for the benefit of the university, we we need to keep this program and the industry attractive for, for young folks because they are the future of the industry. So I just want to put that plug in there. And it's been a, it's been a, a fun ride being a part of this board and, and, and being able to assist with those recruiting efforts. Well, thanks for bringing that up. And um, what you just shares is incredibly important. 
attracting and retention, that's important in every industry. And especially the past probably 10 years, it's been just critical. And then post-COVID, during COVID, post-COVID, at a whole new heightened level and awareness. And I'm going to lump construction management in the industry kind of in the trades, uh, even though there's some separation there. But this is an industry that has great opportunity. Um, it, 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 uh, if you're somewhat of an outdoors person, there are parts of the industry that should be really attractive to you because you are out in the elements um, and you're, you, you get to work with motivated, hardworking people Depending on what side of it you're on, you also work with some scary, smart people that um, literally help dreams come true, whether it's a private developer or a city administrator or the city engineering department or the highway. It is a fascinating industry, critically important. So thanks for interrupting me and, and sharing that. Where I was going to go with uh, this transportation piece, um, and where where you fit into that, I, I think the I, I think the federal highway bill is somewhere around seventy billion dollars, and that isn't enough. That isn't enough to cover all of the uh, new and repaired road construction needs that we have. Just it doesn't come close. Not to mention, we haven't raised the federal fuel tax since I think 1993, because that's just one of those, no politician wants to talk about raising taxes, right? Even though they do. So my my, my first question with regards to uh, your, no, I'm going to wait, I'm going to hold that question and back up. You, you're in business for yourself. You have partners. When you graduated at Moorhead State, you became involved. And also, as you answer this question, talk about your advanced education over in England. You became involved with some of the biggest players on the planet. I mean, the uh, aggregate and Holcomb, if I'm saying that right. No, Holcomb, um, yep. Oh, thank you. Yep. Uh, share with us how how you got involved with those huge companies, what they provided to you, and then how you saw uh, entrepreneurship in the future for you as a result of those experiences. As a intern, um, previous to my last semester in school in in, uh, in the fall or summer of two thousand and four. I had gotten a, uh, well, let me back up just here a little bit. The, the MSUM program and my my past experience in the construction side um, was all about commer- uh, residential construction, and, and the education I received was mostly geared towards commercial construction, commercial building. I didn't know there was another side of the industry that this uh, this aggregate, this, this, this highway, um, highway uh, construction industry. And, and so when there was somebody, basically a recruiter from aggregate industries had come in to speak to the group and, and um, 
basically put the plug for the aggregate industry and for their company um, and had some opportunities to interview for internships right after the uh, uh, right after the class there. And I went to to interview down in their main office in Minneapolis here the next week or something like that. And thought, well, this is kind of cool. Hey, uh, at that at that point, you're just looking for an internship to fulfill some credits. And you're I'm interviewing with a whole bunch of different people on the commercial side, some of the residential side. And, and then there was this one player that had showed up, Aggregate Industries, and I interviewed with them as well. Well, they had called and, and given me an offer uh, for, an, for an internship, which is super exciting when, when you've interviewed with a, a handful of folks and haven't got any callbacks. It's fun to get that, that call. So you can call home to mom and dad and say, hey, guess what? I, uh, I got an offer here, and, uh, <laughs> but I don't know anything about it. And it's, uh, it's, it's a concrete and gravel company, um, you know, for just a downplay because I didn't know how massive this company in this, in this industry was. So I went to uh, I interned with them and got involved in the in the aggregate side of it, the sand and gravel operations from the quality control, the operations, um, the 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 stripping, the the load and haul, all the all the production, the logistics side. I mean, they threw threw everything at me and challenged me, and 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 uh, I had some excellent mentors in the Fargo Moorhead area that uh, that were um, senior managers within the organization. They really built the foundation for me and 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 solidified my interest in the industry. There was no requirement for me to to come back and work for them. It was simply fulfill this internship, and they knew that coming into it, I can go back to school after the summer. Well, at the end of the summer, they said, you know, we we need good people, we need good young people, um, and and we want to give you an offer. And they they had handed me an offer to come back as a as a young assistant plant manager at one of the gravel sand and gravel sites and it was aggregate industries at the time so so i came out to this is this is cool i got my i got my foot in the door with this company went to work for them as an assistant plant manager the next year they had been bought out by a uh, 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 a large company out of switzerland called wholesome and wholesome is a large global cement producer sand and gravel uh, concrete construction company uh, materials material supplier and uh and and it was great it was a great ride i learned a lot um fast forward to 2014 or 2015 and wholesome had merged with another leading global material supplier by the name of lafarge and and had gone by the name lafarge wholesome uh from from then going forward which has since changed but uh but it gave me an excellent opportunity into the industry it uh it, it was you know, it's just so much fun to be a part of where everything in construction starts. Everything literally starts in the aggregate side. Without without aggregates, you don't have buildings, you don't have highways, you don't have houses, you don't have schools. And and that's been the, that was the fun component for me to to be a part of literally ground zero for any type of of construction uh, out there. So it was it was fun. I went through uh, aggregate industries or wholesome had put me through a a course that. Uh, that was quite an honor to be to be <clears throat> invited and accepted into this course in in 2011 2012 it was um the course was through the university of leicester in northern england in the east midlands um what we studied was aggregate management and quarry operations 
it was a it was a year long course uh, travel back and forth between between Switzerland and England uh, and different operations of Holson throughout throughout Europe, and and the opportunity was was second to none. Um, the, the the experience, the memories were second to none. I, I still have lifelong friends that I went through that course, and I I graduated that course uh, with a. Uh, the, the, what the Europeans consider a postgrad certificate, which equates to roughly about half a master's degree um, in aggregate management quarry operations, and and just the, the the course covered everything from feasibility studies, greenfield studies, to to production, to um, logistics, all the way through the financial uh, financial aspects and functions of of any aggregate operation and. And we covered it all. We we spent a lot of time doing it. Uh, when I was home between between uh, European visits, it was a lot of studying, a lot of reading, a lot of assignments. Uh, I had I had one young kid at the time, uh, which which uh, which was all right. I mean, my wife's my wife's uh, an excellent partner in this, and and always been supportive as well. So it's uh, I'm glad I had the opportunity to do it. Um, and if anybody else, I guess, out there had the opportunity, I would, I would, uh, I would not pass up an opportunity like that. But it, it was an experience second to none, and it's really solidified my again, not only solidified, but but has advanced my interest in the industry um, as well as knowledge, experience, and and um, and expertise, I guess, if you will. One piece you kind of didn't cover, and I'm curious. Because it's it when it comes to the the umbrella of quarry management un, un, underneath that umbrella, there's a whole environmental piece with regards to reclamation, uh, water, you know, all of that, and that just keeps getting even more elevated and of greater importance, which is understandable. Did you spend much time on that part of the? management and environmental peace but while you, while you were there and is it different in Europe than it is in the states uh to answer the first part of your question yes i was heavily involved uh in the environmental side with my time at at aggregate industries as an operations manager overseeing several operations um i had responsibility for 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 permitting working with uh, there was environmental manager at the time that I worked very uh very close with her she was she was excellent excellent help excellent resource and we would go to these uh um county hearings we'd have to get a conditional use permit to mine to begin with uh which which covers operations covers covers logistics the loading and there's always requirements that you have to have a plan in place for reclamation Recl- reclaim the uh re- reclaim the site as you behind as you mine going forward um, and besides that, there's water permits that have to be be obtained and have to be managed. There's air permits um, um, that you have to continuously perform these opacity readings, right, with the with the dust, the emissions, those sort of things. And and uh, that was ever evolving as I was there. Aggregate Industries or or Wholesome was very proactive in in those aspects. We uh, we had great people at, at the top that were helping us out with it. We would typically go above and beyond what the what the permits would require, what the counties or townships would require from us. Um, you know, I was I was always very 
very transparent with neighbors. Um, I would hold I would hold meetings, invite neighbors out to to the sites when I was when I was in that position, and explain to them what we are doing, why we're doing what we're doing, um, and invite any concerns or questions that they may have. You know, so so we were we were very trying to be always try to be a good neighbor, try to be a good steward of the industry, try to be a good good steward of uh, of of obviously our coworkers and families and everybody else involved as well. Um, to answer the second part of your question there, Mike, as far as some of the differences in in the U.S. versus Europe, it always seemed like the Europe Europeans were about one or two steps ahead of us, more evolved than we were when it when it came to requirements. Um, and I would see it when I was over there, not only the the environmental side, but the but the safety side. So the requirements for them to sometimes overguard equipment. Uh, versus what was required in the U.S. through MSHA uh, on the safety requirements, guarding requirements, it seemed like it was more always more advanced. While I was while I was going through the program and visiting the sites at that time, anyway, it was more advanced uh, in Europe. And some of the processing at the time, what I what I have experienced was more advanced. Um, the environmental side definitely seemed more advanced from a processing perspective. I visited when I was there. I visited a porcelain and ceramic recycling facility where they had they had an operation and i believe this was in the london england area if i remember right it could have been in, it could have been in zurich so i can't remember exactly where the location but there was a site that when people were throwing out their their sinks and their toilets and anything ceramic tiles porcelain you name it would go in would would have a drop off site here and they had these piles and mountains of all this porcelain and ceramic and they would come in and crush it and use it. Um, they, they were actually testing at the time to crush it down to a certain size and reutilize it in in concrete, um, which which is really cool. That, those sort of things always interested me. I don't know exactly where where it went from there because I wasn't able to follow up with or didn't I guess take the initiative to follow up with it. It would be fun to do that now and see how far that has evolved. But I came back and thought, man, I've never seen something like this in the U.S. I'm sure it's uh, I'm sure it's available out there. I still have yet to come across it in the U.S. But you know, there's the the engineers over there, and it seems like the studies are are, and from my past experience, a couple steps ahead of of advanced advancement on the environmental and the safety side in Europe versus the U.S. Michael, what what do you think they saw in you? Because you were the way you covered your your background, they were kind of fast-tracking you. It was clear that you were uh, a performer and um, they wanted you part of the team. What, what, what was it that you think or, or know that they saw in you? There was a couple, couple different things I think contributed to that, Mike. There was some opportunities with when we had merged with with wholesome um 2007 8 whatever whatever or when wholesome had acquired aggregate industries there was there was a, a large project basically to implement synergies to to get aggregate industries on the same page as wholesome uh, from the operating systems and platforms etc um and they had 
at the time they were looking for some people in some different roles that can that can come together and and make sure that everything is is initiated or or you know set set the stage from from a different different level perspective i guess if you will if that makes any sense so they had conference calls with people people in these positions from from across the us how busy are you folks any chance you'd be able to get away and help us with this you know it's it's going to take some sacrifices it's going to take some time away from families it may take some weekends and and i've always looked at those as opportunities and i the opportunity is to pursue, and I have I have never said no to to an opportunity. I guess that, that may give me um, a chance to uh, a chance to move, move forward in my career. So, so I was one of the few in that position that had volunteered, I guess, if you will. Um, and then we had kind of follow up conference calls with with senior leadership team. Are you a right fit? You know, is your experience going to fit what we what we're looking for here? And you know, I had to sell myself on it. And uh, we all came together. Okay, I'm part of the project and I'm taking on this role. And I did that a couple couple different times. There was there was one role there that I was I was running a program called AgFlow, where basically it's a it's a mock flow of aggregate equipment. You input your feed gradations and all your equipment and you set the specs and the settings of the equipment and it, it shows you kind of you know, um, real case output scenarios and bottlenecks, et cetera. And, and I was, I was one of the handfuls in the U S that had been trained on this, on this program. Um, and there was a lot of plants in the U S this, this company is massive. Aggregate industries is massive. Wholesome's mass, even, even larger. And there are a lot of plants in the U S that we had to get into ag flow that, that, uh, that did not have the capability to do so. While I was on one of these trips talking to some of the executives, I overheard that it got brought up. You know, how do we get how do we get somebody to get all these plants in ag flow? I uh, I've always looked at that as an opportunity. I volunteered myself. If guys, I'll come out. I'll travel to tell me where to go, when to be there. I'll I'll put this uh, I'll put this all together for you. And I spent I spent a lot of time in all around the, the U.S. or in the Midwest at that time. Sorry, from I was in Ohio for a for a, a stint. I was in uh, Michigan and in Illinois. Um, as well as you know, Minnesota, Dakota is where I where I come from. But um, went out to Colorado. I think I went out to Boston to help some of them at, at the same time. And it was uh, it was cool to see some different operations. I've always looked at those as opportunities. While I'm there, I want to get to know the folks there. Uh, I want to I want to spend time with with the the regional president. I want to sit down in his office, you know, see what what makes him tick, you know, what what is he looking for? What are some of his challenges? And I and I truly did that. I think people probably thought I was half crazy for doing so. Um, you know, call me a suck up, you know, why are you why are you over there talking to him? Well, because I <laughs> I have an opportunity to do so and uh, and I want to take advantage of that. And uh so this this course, they actually question this course that was in the University of Leicester there is a limit to the number of folks that uh, that uh, can be admitted into the program in one year. And I believe it was 12. And this is globally. This is wholesome now globally. We're talking 72 countries. Um, so there, it's by invite only. So um, I had gotten a nomination from, from our regional president, who was based in Minneapolis at the time, um, Norm, great guy. And and he had nominated me for the program. I had to go through kind of a whole application process with uh, with uh, 
through wholesome corporate as well as through the university and a lot of documents to submit and, and review, et cetera. But I thought that was pretty cool. Number one, to be nominated for it. Uh, number two, to be accepted into it. Number three, to graduate from it. So it's, uh, um, I guess that's kind of my story, Mike, and I uh, appreciate you asking that. Twelve. I think wholesome, and I, I call it Holcomb, but because I don't understand how to pronounce it correctly. Over 70,000 employees, right. and 12 were selected, and you're one of them. That's, that's quite an accomplishment, and congratulations, by the way. Yes, thank you. Um, as I was listening to you, it kind of remind me of one of my brother-in-laws, both of whom, by the way, played football, and both of whom are guys that you probably wouldn't have liked, and they wouldn't have liked you because you were a linebacker. They were both running backs at NDSU. Six national championship rings between them. Marty C. and Chad Stark. But Marty is currently living in London, by the way. Oh, really? He's a CEO for a firm called Red Engineering. And a real curious bugger, just like you, by the way. So you had this... Uh, you had this great run with a very significant company. What what drew you to the point where you wanted to establish your own deal and have far more control, for better or for worse, uh, over your future? How did that come about? Well, there was a there was a step in between there. Um, being in the operations. With with wholesome was was all I ever knew, uh, and I, and I loved it. Um, but there is a saying that bigger is not always better, and I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way. But uh, there's there obviously there's pros and cons. When in twenty fourteen or fifteen, when when wholesome had merged with Lafarge, um, when wholesome had merged with Lafarge, it got it got large, very large corporate. In my position, I felt like some of the local relationship type type business uh, business dealings was was taken away from my control. Um, there was a um, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the term for it. You know, it's probably kind of a central purchasing team, a procure, whole procurement team that would negotiate negotiate vendors to utilize, negotiate pricing for it. Um, and and I felt like I was told at the time, you know, it, a lot a lot of my position was repairs, re, rebuilds, replacement, those sort of things from the operation perspective. And and I always enjoyed working with working with local dealers, uh, local service, having some control over that. But it got to the point where I felt like I was I was told what I'm going to purchase, where I'm going to buy it from, how much I'm going to pay for it, and I and I thought. Um, most of my most of my day is is not out in the field anymore. It's sitting in the office on conference calls, talking about you know what what pricing that we're looking at, what environmental uh, challenges we're looking, safety challenges, and those are all important things. But the those the way it was evolving to get large corporate and me losing, I guess losing kind of control over some of the some of the say in some of these day to day decision makings. I thought it's. It, it felt like it was changing and, and I wasn't, I didn't have the same enjoyment going to work as I had previous to that. 
I thought, well, I have a lot of career left. There's still an opportunity for me to maybe look at this career and, and approach this career with a little different angle, different perspective. Um, there was a local a local dealership that uh, had had an excellent opportunity at the time for me to jump on with them. Great, great folks, great people um, to jump on with them and and uh, help them with some sales management role uh, uh, and some business development duties. And it was it was a lot of fun. It was it was it was a good ride with them as well. But I always felt like there's still something missing. And and if I and if I had this entrepreneurial itch for a long time, and I thought that's never going to go away um, until I scratch it. Well, long story short, and and I'm sure there's a few more details here as well. But long story short. I had an opportunity to start my own dealership here, um, aggregate solutions company, I guess, if you will. Um, I brought on a couple of fantastic key players, great, great dudes that uh, that are investment partners of mine here and, and helped me get this thing kicked off the ground here. And uh, last year, 2023, um, Kind of the end of August, we we went live with this new company called Crush Mode, and uh, Crush Mode is, as I mentioned, aggregate equipment supplier, sales, rentals, parts, service, as well as an aggregate consulting firm. Um, I have one manufacturer right now that I'm contracted with, and they are, in my opinion, second to none, especially when it comes to the 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 mobile track, mobile equipment side here and their offerings in the U.S. based out of the Cleveland, Ohio area, Iraq. I rock. Uh, they got some of the best top-notch guys and gals in the industry. Their support staff is, in my opinion, again, second to none with with um, being responsive, being helpful, uh, being understanding. Let's work through things together. They, they approach everything as a team. It's not, it's not well, you know, I, I gave this equipment to you. You have issues with it. It's your problem now. No, we're, we're a team in this. We want our, They want their equipment to perform as, as much more as I want it to perform. So so I, I can't say enough good things about them. They're they're fantastic to deal with. And uh, and I'm excited about the future going forward with IROC. We'll come back to Crush Mode in a second. So that folks, that's C-R-U-S-H. M-O-D-E, Crush Mode. And we'll list the contact information on MikeSeminary.com, but it's crush hyphen M-O-D-E.com. And Micah is also on Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, I've seen his motivational videos on LinkedIn, by the way. So, So going back to... What I think is a flaw in most significant corporate giants, sometimes they forget that they have entrepreneurs. They have people that they're, they're, they're not entrepreneurs yet but they're internal to their organization that have these entrepreneur, they call them entrepreneurs because they're working for another company, entrepreneurial skills, great people skills, management skill, and they just have lots of talent. And for whatever reason, 
they can be stifling. And they put in controls that are almost micromanaging. And lots of companies can do this. And their loss really is everybody else's gain because guys like Micah, uh, even though it's a great company, and there were things that just uh, weren't part of your personal DNA, have nothing against the company, but the way you wanted to grow, there was just kind of these blocks that were put in your way. And we also get that because they want to control their company the way they want to control it. And that's their business because they have shareholders they have to please and we kind of get that but what happens is very talented people that are thoroughbreds that have great gifts might make the decision you know i'm gonna this has been a great ride for me it's a great company but i think there's a, another avenue for me and that's exactly what you you pursued and uh, along the way, with your corporate experience, you learned the material side and the equipment. Were you, were you? Did you spend more time over that career period of time on the material side than you did equipment, uh, or, or was it kind of an equal distribution? Well, it kind of it kind of goes hand in hand. Okay. But uh, yeah, I, I, I've, when you need, need need the material, to utilize the equipment, and vice versa. And now are you more on the equipment side and relationship side and and materials? Is it kind of switched a little bit? I would say yes, but the material is always going to be a factor. It's going to be the factor in what equipment you choose, what equipment you propose, and how you configure it. Um, is it any any um any equipment has to be configured basically to the to the input type material, size material, and the output. Um, uh, desired product that you're looking to produce. Okay. For for you and your partners, let's talk about you, Micah, and Crush Mode. Again, that's C-R-U-S-H hyphen M-O-D-E crushmode.com um, uh, Who's your ideal prospect that can then become I should say, who's your ideal suspect that can become a prospect that becomes a customer? What, what are you looking for and why should they be looking for you, by the way? Well, I have a little bit of a, a little bit of a niche uh, offering here, which is the track mobile equipment. And so my, my ideal target customer is, is well, it's, it's, it's really a couple different types. Um, initially, I would say it's contractors. I rock equipment is manufactured for contractors people uh building and rebuilding roads and highways uh that it's this equipment is mobile remote control uh operated and tracked but to go beyond that it's not it's not only designed to build for contractors aggregate sand and gravel aggregate operators are are ideal candidates as well there's a lot of benefits to having track mobile equipment inside of a inside of a sand and gravel pit you know, you can you can move it, keep it close to, close to the face. Um, easy easy to track it out of the way if you got to clean up. Easy easy to do repairs on it. But also even even quarry operators, you're starting to see. In the past, you would never dream of seeing track mobile equipment inside of a quarry. Everybody has these large, enormous stationary plants. 
they they drill and blast. They they load these massive halt trucks, bring the material up to the plant, dump into a primary. It goes through its its cycle. It it, it goes through the plant. It comes out as a finished product. People in um, operators, owners, managers are starting to see the benefits of track mobile equipment in these large quarries as well. And and we uh, we have placed more and more equipment into these quarries, and they see the benefits. Same thing I was saying with sand and gravel. You can keep it close to the face. You can eliminate. The, the load and haul with the haul trucks and the excavators and and keep the plant where you need to produce the material. Um, well, pe- people will say, well, it's 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 miniature equipment. It's, you know, you won't get the production tonnage that we do out of these large stationary plants. That may, may have been true 15 years ago. These mobile track plants have evolved. They've gotten larger. Their production rates have, have grown significantly. And I, I would say before... Uh, before you knock it, try it, at least look into it because you may be pleasantly surprised and pleased at the amount of cost savings that you could foresee with uh, with track mobile equipment in any of these operations and the benefits you'll get from it and the flexibility and the mobility. It's uh, There are some significant benefits to using track mobile equipment. Okay, I, I need to go back and I should have stopped you right away. Hopefully now... I'll remember enough of what you said to ask the question correctly. When you said remote control, that's what you said, right? Is is this analogous to autonomously um, driven equipment, or is it because there's a difference, or is it purely remote control where somebody's like right now, you and I are looking at each other on on computer screens, and if I had some kind of a joystick and you were actually a piece of equipment. I could be remote controlling it. Is is that what you mean when you say remote controlled? Or so so no, I um I would separate the two here, Mike. So so okay. I wouldn't consider this autonomous. It's basically the the remote um can, can drive or track if you will the equipment to get it into place, and typically has a start stop button for the feeder to to feed material through the plant. You know the autonomous portion you're talking about would be the yellow iron equipment that would that would feed this with the material into these plants you know if you could do that remote control that would be that would be autonomous um but these are really just considered wireless remote control track mobile um and and there 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 is a difference but it's definitely a convenience factor loading it on and off uh trailers low boys rgns that the you know, there's a safety factor there too, where you can stand out to the side, and there's there's quite a quite a range to these remotes. Uh, you can you can have a remote control for the feeder in in your loader. If there's an issue with the plant or loader or excavator, I should say, if there's an issue with the plant, you can hurry hit the stop button on it without causing any any further issues or damage or or just just a mess as well. So they're they're very user friendly. Um, they're fun to operate. They're they're convenient, and I would just say if uh, for anyone out there uh, that hasn't tried it, it's worth looking into. In terms of generational changes in equipment, how new is Track Mobile? Well, Track Mobile has been around for for quite some time. It's been around a lot longer in Europe than it has in the U.S. Uh, it has taken a long time for it to get accepted into the U.S. You've seen more of it East Coast, uh, some West Coast as well. East Coast has a lot of European infiltration. I think they have brought the concept and has been an easier buy-in for the folks out there that are operating these units uh, on the East Coast. 
but it has taken some time to be accepted uh, into, into the Midwest. And it's still a challenge to a lot of people. I get that toy out of here. It's uh, that's there's no room for this. We only operate stationary or we only operate wheeled portable. Um, we need to get production. We, do, we don't want to deal with these, these little cereal box toys. You know, I've, I've heard people say like, I, I would suggest you at least look into it here because uh, because of the production rates, like, like I said, is comparable or the wheeled uh, uh, wheeled portable as it is to to these track mobile plants. Um, so it's it's still a challenge, I guess, to answer your question, Mike. It's still a little bit bit of a challenge to be accepted in a lot of these operations in the Midwest, but much less of a challenge as it was five years ago, where people are seeing um, you know their competitors or people, uh, neighbors down the road that are starting to utilize it, looking at, at the opportunity that it would it would grant them to pursue, to, to bid on different projects and to have some more flexibility with things. And uh, and it's it, it's fun to be a part of it. I would still consider in, in the Midwest here, some of, some of these offerings as, as I'm still in some of the initial stages of it. The equipment's evolving, the manufacturers are evolving, and uh, it's gonna be fun to see where it goes here in the next five to 10 years. You know, in a lot of um, environments, a customer's actually, a customer wants it cheaper, faster, and they want the highest quality. They, they want all three of those. And we all know that's almost impossible. It's pretty hard to have all three. So for customers that should be looking at what you have to offer, which one of those three, or maybe there's a fourth, I'm not sure, which one of those three would most of them be looking for when they're thinking about changing to what you have to offer? Is it the, the price, the the speed, the quality? Which, which one would it be? That's a good, good question there. Um, you know, the, the I would say I would say the price is a lot of people look at that, and I'm gonna, I'm going to elaborate on that a little bit. A lot of people will look at the price tag in one of these units as wow, it's knocks me out of my chair. It's it's high. Well, you have everything. What they don't realize is you have everything in one unit. You have a feeder, you have a screen, you have your discharge conveyor, you have you have the 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 engine cat Volvo or whatever mounted right on there, and and people will look at this unit as. The initial price tag is going to scare them, but what they don't realize is it's going to be much more economical in the long run. It's one unit you're transporting to a site. Where you, if you look at wheeled portable unit, you're transporting a feeder, you're transporting a screen, you're transporting uh, conveyors, you're transporting a generator. You have all these different loads to go into the site where you start putting all those pieces together and add up those price tags on those units you just had to purchase versus one of these units. Yeah, one unit, if you just look at one component of it, it's going to look like it's going to knock you out of your seat. Um, but I would say the price on these units for what you're getting and all the different components on one chassis is, is the most significant. The second is the mobility of it. You don't need a, a, a loader or a truck to come a site and hook up to it and move it around the site and piece these other units together. 
you simply hit the hit the on button, uh, pair your remote, track it to where you need to go, and you don't have to piece all these different components with a feeder and a conveyor and everything all all together. It's it's all for the most part it's one unit. So I guess I just want to say the 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 price and the mobility, the flexibility of these units is is what what people should definitely take into consideration because in my opinion is is uh, the most significant benefits. The typical customer of yours, at the, at the end of the day, uh, they're involved in uh, their end product is the laydown operation. Am I right? Where uh, road construction is the final piece of all the steps that would take place from what you're selling to your client, and then eventually the end product for all of us is that nice smooth road we want to get from point A to point B on, right? Absolutely. You got it. That's a big industry. That's a big, big industry. And now I'm going to ask you a question that probably has nothing to do with what you do on a daily basis, but your customers do. Uh, And it's regarding this um, how should I say this? This transition from combustible combustion engines to EVs or hydrogen, whatever whatever we end up having, and everybody kind of gets it that combustion engine at some point in time will not be as prolific as it is now. But in the case of EVs, they're a lot heavier than the typical combustion engine. And here's my question, because I've been reading about the current guardrail system on the highways. They they can't handle uh, a collision from an EV like they would a combustion because they're that much heavier. What what are we currently doing? And hopefully this is a good question for you. What are we currently doing in terms of the design of the road that we've been using forever? that now has to be probably redesigned, re-engineered, and constructed to handle the weight of, in this case, EVs. Are you familiar with what we're doing? Or is that a fair question for you? Well, it's definitely a fair question there, Mike, but I haven't been very very involved in the engineering side of, of highway and road construction. But what I can tell you, it's a process that's, that's ever-evolving. They have... They have engineers and scientists working on this day in and day out, trying to come up with a, a better highway. Um, in, in the Midwest, you're you know testing with different materials that will try to eliminate the potholes, as you mentioned early on in this in this podcast. Um, that that will hold up to the smoothability and the drivability of the roads much longer. Um, and there and there's all these different different products that they're even like like I alluded to earlier that they're testing with as as far as implementing different types of recycled materials into it mm-hmm. uh as, as well as some of the some of the binders if you will with the with the rebar um or the cabling <clears throat> or whatever so so I know that it's 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 an area of concern it's an area that uh, it's an area that is constantly being addressed and constantly being revisited. I just don't have all the ins and outs specifics on what exactly that looks like, what those details look like there, Mike, but it's, it's, uh, it, 
it, it definitely kind of sparks my interest into that too because I need to I need to probably refresh um, brush up on on some some of my uh, application side when it comes to the concrete and asphalt laydown process as well and kind of where that where that is going and and get some more in, insight into into some of that process here too. Like you have a magic wand that you can wave over the head of all the prospective customers that you'd like to have tomorrow, by the way. <laughs> what What's the one thing that you should really know, and I'll ask this a little broadly, about what you have to offer, what Crush Mode could do for them. You could wave that magic wand over them. What, what would it be that they should know? I would say that what the, what they should know is having a conversation. You're not committing to anything. I I have their best interests at heart. I I love as I mentioned when I was my time in Wholesome, I love you know just having conversation with folks, getting to know them, connecting with people, and that's that's what I'm after here right now. So if, if somebody reaches out to me and wants to talk about their their application, their product, they're trying to produce. Uh, some of their bottlenecks in their plant. I I love having those conversations and working through that process, whether they commit to my equipment or my consulting services or not. But I would say my my flexibility there is uh, is probably what's going to separate not only flexibility but my I would say my passion to to have the conversation on a specific topic is probably what separates me from from, from the next guy down the road. Um. But but on top of that, it's some of these. I would, as I keep alluding to, this equipment is so versatile and so durable and in mobile. I think if if people aren't familiar with with the the benefits of track mobile equipment, let's let's try it. Let's do a demo. Let me let me prove to you the 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 benefits of utilizing this. And that's I guess that's what I want to get through to people. Is if you, I don't want to. I don't want to hold your feet to the fire and and you know make you commit to something you're not comfortable with, but let's work through this together as a partnership. And you know, let's be creative and getting this into your site. Use it, utilize it for a couple of days as a demo, do short-term rental for a week. Try it before you buy it. If you decide you want it, you're not out anything by putting your rental dollars into it. It's all it'll go towards your buyout. I mean, it's I want people to be comfortable and confident. Not only are they making the right decision with the equipment they're purchasing, but they're making the right equipment with the dealer that they're partnering with who they feel confident and comfortable with that they're going to be taken care of and supported. It's all about relationships and trust that you pretty much sum that up. Somebody listening right now today just heard that and they want to call you. What number should they use? Um, I'm going to give uh, give my work number here. It's, it's uh, 218- Five nine three seven eight zero eight. You can reach me on that anytime, day or night. It's uh, um, I may not answer it in the middle of the night, but uh, but the phone's always on. It always rings, and and if I don't answer, leave a message. I will respond asap. Micah Tisford, founder CEO of Crush Mode, C R U S H hyphen M O D E dot com. Micah, thanks so much for taking time to join me. I know you're awfully busy. In fact, here here we are approaching March, and a whole bunch of decisions are going to be made about the upcoming construction season, bidding, and what have you. I hope that 2024 just knocks your socks off for you, Micah. 
Mike, it has been a pleasure. It's been been fun visiting with you here, and uh, I hope you're right as well. And I'm I'm feeling like I'm getting some momentum, which is exciting. So so thank you for having me. You take good care, and please keep pushing out those motivational, inspirational videos. I sure enjoy them. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate take, that. Take good care.